0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm very excited tonight. We have our friend, international superstar, wrestler, actor, writer, stand-up comedian, podcast host extraordinaire, Mr. Zach Amico. Zach, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, brothers, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's our pleasure. So uh, so what's going on in uh, the Big Apple? I'm assuming that's... uh, that's where we're talking to you from, or perhaps yeah, I'm New Jersey? Yeah, Bru-
1: I'm Bru- Brooklyn, yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, skating on by, finished shooting uh a new trauma movie yesterday, Curse of the wear Deer. Uh, finished pickup shots at the trauma office last night, and uh, currently shooting Bring On the Damned, uh, Brandon Basham's uh, new feature film, who did um, uh, The Slashing One and Two, uh, really, really funny trauma movies.
0: Oh, nice! Yeah, I saw. Um, I think kind of. I don't know if it was an official trailer, but I saw something on one of the campaigns for *Curse of the Weird Deer*, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw uh, Nadia White in the shower. So, yes, I don't you know did. If you, were, if you were there for that, but uh, how did that shoot go? Uh,
1: it was great. We they had shot a teaser trailer, um, I think, two years ago, and we recently went out to uh, Tennessee to make the full movie. And uh, yeah, Nadia has a full. Uh, monster transformation and uh, does it in the buff, and it was uh, quite a day. She's a real trooper,
0: yeah, that's fantastic. I always love to see the crossovers happen, man, from adult into indie and even more mainstream in some cases. So it seems like you know, through trauma and films like that, um, Nadia White's really been able to you know, kind of get a, a, a niche into that door,
1: and she's fucking great, dude. She, um, she's a Really, really good actress, and she's fun to be around. I I would cast her in anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Eric, did you did you see uh, Zach and Eric? Did you guys see each other during Shitstorm, or was that just a yeah, yeah, Zach? So uh, yeah, Zach and I were uh, my one day on set. Uh, you were a big help, Zach. You helped me. You know, first and foremost, you were you were you produced part of, produced that movie, right? You're one of the I, producers. Uh, I I got a
1: very I get a very weird credit with Troba. That doesn't exist, called Associate Director. Okay. Um, uh, it's myself and James Gunn got it on Tromeo and Juliet. Um, and I don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, one time at a convention, we saw a bunch of actor people who had been in the movie, and they were trying to explain what I did to their friend. And they went, This is Zach, the on set director
0: okay, yeah i I can go with that, I mean, yeah, because when I was there on set with you at Brooklyn Fire, I mean, you were you know quiet on the set, everyone you were you were running things and you did a great job and uh helped me feel comfortable in that big room with all the green walls, the gi- essentially a giant green screen room, yeah um, to just ad lib a few lines as Trump there with Lloyd with all the lights on us, and he had all the makeup on and the latex and the fake dicks and the boobs and the and the hands and everything, and that was uh. That was really awesome, man. That's that's one of one of the best memories I have, um, you know, in the entertainment world, and and obviously it's the first movie I've ever been in. So you guys all were just so awesome, and I was wow, so was appreciative. Yeah, I was so appreciative of your support, and and you know, obviously Justin and Lloyd was amazing. I mean, the energy on Lloyd, man, to be doing that in his seventies, that was just that was just unreal. And then, uh, boy, what a what a treat it was to see all you guys a couple months back um, in New York City. For the for the big premiere there at um, in Astoria at the Museum of Moving Image, what a what a cool night that was, man!
1: Yeah, it was really really fun. Uh, just see everybody come out and so many people just see uh, really get the movie because uh, it is one you have to. You're either going to get it or you don't. Right. And uh, yeah, it was so much fun. That same day we shot with you, we shot with um, Sam Roberts from the Jim and Sam Show, and uh, he's a uh, 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 host for WWE and we had nothing written down for him yeah and he just showed up I said wear a suit and uh, I got him to do a backstage segment like it was a WWE locker room with Lloyd Lloyd, I mean couldn't have gotten it less and I was just feeding him. let me tell you something brother and it made me so happy
0: yeah I remember seeing Sam and I'll be honest I had no idea who he was that day and then when I got back um, I kind of shared a, a picture up from the set, and my friend was like, "Dude, you were there with with Sam, Sam Roberts," and I was like, "Who's that?" <laughs> and he, had to, he had to tell me who he was, and I was like, "Oh man, that, that's awesome!" Yeah, trauma. I mean, tr- trauma fans are, are are vast. It's 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 far and wide the reach of trauma, and people who will go on to have mainstream success or be in other aspects of the entertainment industry um, always find their way back to trauma. So I just feel. So lucky to, to have been part of that experience. And I just caught some part of your interview with um, Sam and Norton that you just did recently, which was great. And I wanted to ask you about this. This is, this is really exciting. You mentioned that you're going to possibly be filming like your own hour special in August.
1: I uh, might get pushed back. But yeah, I'm looking to shoot something um, in the next few months. I've been touring, uh, doing long sets, getting it ready. I just practiced it in its entirety. Um, about two weeks ago to get, um, an idea of it, I did it, actually, I did it twice. Um, I did a private gig at a, uh, golf course and, uh, it was just a guy happened to be a fan and hired me, uh, and it was very hoity toity and I didn't know how it was going to go. And I wound up having a blast. Uh, and I wound up hanging out all night with all these people that go to this random golf course in Connecticut. Oh, wow. And then I did it. Uh, Two weeks ago, at a tiny bar in Brooklyn, and uh, as I was waiting, it was a real small room. It sat like 25 people. And as I was waiting to go on, the bartender came out and went, the microphone doesn't work, just so you know. (laughs) Fuck. I went, is anybody going to do something about that? And she goes, nah. And I went, okay. So I had to do my headliner set without a microphone really? Yeah, yeah. I, saw, I woke up the night, ne- and I apologize for my language. I woke up the next day sounding like I fucking deep throated a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, man. I mean, how how was the reaction in the small room? I mean, obviously, like with a private uh, golf gig, those golf pros, they know how to party, man. I bet those guys got wound up and got a real oh, kick, yeah. kick out of you. But how was the response from, like, the smaller room? And obviously, I mean, those were
1: them. all people that were there to see. I mean, it was a, a tiny engagement. They were all there to see me. <clears throat> So we had we made the most that we had a good time, uh, and the golf course. Yeah, I wound up because I got a bad back, so sometimes the full hour is not spent standing. Yeah. And uh, I wound up it was all, which is not ideal for comedy. It was all tables, like uh, set up like more like a restaurant, and I wound up just taking a seat at one of the tables with two old men, like I was sitting there with them, and I did my act sitting there with two like eighty year old guys. Wow. And I had a really good time.
0: That's, That's awesome, great. Man. Yeah, I, I I sometimes deal with back issues too, Zach. Um, you know, obviously being a larger individual, you know, is part of it. Um, and I'm a drummer, so I drum every week, and sometimes that can do a number on my shoulders and my back. But um, yeah, whenever we perform live, I you know we do a mixture of like stand up, and but I always say to the audience, yeah, I'm more of a sit down comic, and we kind of have more of like the podcast uh, live podcast vibe. And um, uh, yeah, so I I, I saw the uh, episode you did there with uh um Jim and Sam and then uh maybe last year you were you were on uh, Kill Tony I thought that was awesome too man what's what's uh what's that like man how did you get on there and what was that process like and that's more oh. kind of a, a live podcast five two well a mixture isn't it yeah
1: uh so Tony's the best uh love him uh, absolutely he's a real sweetheart goes out of his way to um stand up for people he thinks are funny If he thinks you're funny, he will get you in front of people. And um, it really means a lot. And that actually, that was a wild week. So we were in Austin. Big Jay Okerson was taping a crowd work special at the Creek in the Cave, uh, which used to be, the Creek used to be in Astoria. And they moved to Texas during the pandemic. And it felt like kind of a homecoming. It was very nice. And then we stayed to do uh, shows with Tony, and that was the week. More or less, um, Tony got canceled. Tony got into some trouble, and he pretty much every club told him, we won't have you on stage out of fear of these uh, uh, people that are coming after him. And we did a live taping of Legion of Skanks with myself, Lewis, Big J, Tim Dillon and tony was backstage and we're like ah we're bringing tony on and he was sitting with any he he was very nice you know you don't have to if you don't want to or if you feel this could be an issue for you guys and uh they were like no fuck that tony you're coming on stage so we were the first people to bring tony on stage after people uh tried to fucking ruin him and uh, we wound up hanging him with him all week and then doing kill tony and so much fun like what a great atmosphere that bar he has is phenomenal. Um, there's a band that starts it off. What a fun night, man. And then he, uh, what people don't know is he throws a hell of a shindig after. Fully catered, uh, real good barbecue. Uh, it Basically just turns into a, a comedian party afterwards where he takes over that whole joint. And wow, what a fun night. Oh man, that must have been an amazing wow. experience. So basically, Zach,
0: the people that wanted to cancel Tony were the uh, creature you played in Shitstorm, the fucking blogger woman with the big, the big yeah. blonde hair, based on a real woman, and and that that's, yeah. that's like that's who wants to cancel people like comedians and Tony.
1: Yeah, that was very very uh, on purpose that uh, I played that character when we had done a early reading of Shitstorm. Lloyd asked me if I wanted to be anybody in it. And I said, there was nobody really calling me. and He goes, well, write yourself something. And I had this idea that if I was going to be Lloyd's you know, associate director, that I also wanted to be a woman in it. And then I just thought it would be very funny if I break the fourth wall every time I'm on camera <laughs> uh, and actively comment on the movie as it's going. And that's where we kind of started from. And that person, the the character was based off of, had debated Jim Norton a number of years ago on a TV show, which is where I picked up some of her mannerisms. Yeah, um, where she it's does hideous. a lot of like she does a lot of side talking, where she'll uh, basically play both characters in her narration of an event. You know, so then you know guys will say things like, "Well, I don't think that's true." And that's where I picked up all her mannerisms was from that one interview. And um, originally on the call sheet and stuff, I just used her real name. And then I guess somebody sent it to her.
0: <laughs> it got <caught laughs> back to
1: her. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, she was, she was <laughs> none too pleased that she had posted it on her Instagram story, not a post. Just pictures of me and like just you know, another man in comedy making fun of me and like, you know, I you know, this is what I this is the punishment I received for trying to do this, and you know. Uh I don't want to say who it was, but it was a very shrill response.
0: <laughs> it was it was amazing. It's, it's, I, you know, it's I'd crazy love when... that
1: character. I, I hung out like that. I had so much fun. Fr- I mean, the You're second committed. I went to um, the second I went to Lane Bryant and got measured. And they put me in the shapewear. I was like, "Oh, this is uncomfortable as hell." I'm going to use this. And I walked. I was. I was. I was in that shit for days. I was. They say we were making fun of Lloyd that he would be done for the day, and he would keep the dress on all day, and keep directing. And we wouldn't tell him to change because he was nicer as a lady. (laughs) Um, So then uh, we basically. I, but then the same thing would happen to me is I would be done for the day and I would just keep the outfit on and keep going.
0: It felt right. And
1: yeah, it was, you know, I'm it, it's not the first time I've dabbled in uh, female impersonation. So uh, and I didn't want to play it like a drag queen and I didn't want to play it um, in a, a parody way. My intention was to do it like kids in the hall where I am a man playing a woman and this character just happens to be female and I'm doing it I'm playing a female there's nothing funny about that because right why would there be and I think it came out in the exact tone I wanted
0: yeah that's it's like uh everybody loved loved it the most when Mark Foley's dressed as a woman because he, he was he was hot he was yeah, hot as was a man. Yeah, he was, and and I, I caught a little bit of the bombshell vibes in what you were doing a little bit too. It's it's a believable character. I mean, you forget that it's it's Zachary pretending to be a woman. You are this character, and and it's uh when the when you're in the trauma building and the fucking it's snowflake. Like the <laughs> signal, the
1: snowflake signal comes on. That's, That's one of the- my favorite <laughs> parts in the whole movie. <laughs> uh, so when we shot that, uh, one of the ideas I had was behind me there's a poster board that says careers to destroy and it's the Legion of Skanks, Stavros Halkius, Eli Sayers, Keith Carey. It's all my friends with like the JFK yarn between them. Yeah. And then there's like, you know, uh, 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 Stavros Halkius fat shaming. And I put all shit, you know, uh, big J O'Kerson anti-Semite. And I like put all these, Wires between and before it, I had asked all the comics and uh, who if I could use a picture of you, and I uh, explained what it was for, and I had two people say no. Uh, one because they had a writing job where she was going to be involved. the Oh, lady Jesus! On what are the chances? And, and the other was Tim Dillon, who said no, not unless it's a list of the greatest comedians of all time, <laughs> <laughs> which is re- such a funny Tim thing to say. You could see him no, saying I don't, that, want be, for sure. I don't want to be low in your level. Like he's like, What about me? Yeah. yeah. What about the
0: guy who makes fun of the dead senator's daughter? What about me? <laughs> I love um I love that joke Stavros tells about um uh fat dudes who dress like like the stray cats like the nineteen fifties, always getting steady pussy. <laughs> oh yeah. He's, he's like somehow these big fat guys who are hideous in their forties and fifties always got these young hot, you know, uh pinup girls in their twenties around them. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorite lines that he has that was about a that. Fucking
1: beast on stage! He just came out with a special. It's so good.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I man, you 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 got freaking hands in so many different worlds, like wrestling, comedy, uh, acting. Um, what's it like, kind of going, you know, back and forth between all those? And it seems like you really have a way to kind of mix them up too.
1: You know, um, to I always consider it's just one thing. I'm a personality. Yeah. Right. Um, with wrestling, I'm a manager, so I'm just playing one exaggerated version of myself. Uh, with trauma stuff, I'm a little more behind the scenes. Comedy, you know, I'm an exaggerated version of myself in another direction. Podcasting, the same. Um, and I like mixing it up. The only thing that sucks is trying to not double book myself. Because I will accidentally take bookings on the same night for more than one thing. And realize I, 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 I fucked my schedule up. Uh, But other than that, yeah, it's all kind of bleeds into one another in a weird way, where I uh, have comedians do stuff with the movies. I do a movie podcast, so that kind of bleeds into the broadcasting world. It all kind of uh, is a nice mix.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Zach's uh, Midnight Spook Show, if anyone uh, is interested in checking that that out. And that's also on uh, Gas Digital, correct?
1: Yeah, I have three podcasts on Gas Digital. Uh, I co-host The Real Ass Podcast. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On Thursdays, I do a show with Ian Fidance called The Bye Guys. And then Fridays at midnight, it's Zach Mika's Midnight Spook Show, where myself and comics sit down and watch genre films, whether it be B-movies, horror movies, uh, kids' movies, anything I feel like putting on that week. And uh, we talk over it and uh, just act a fool.
0: Yeah, that looks like a lot of fun. That's almost kind of like a mystery science vibe a little bit.
1: A little bit. Sometimes like, we never even mention the movie. Sometimes we're just caught in a conversation. I consider it very much like a friend experience. And then yeah. sometimes when you're friends, you put on a movie and you don't pay attention to it. Sometimes you're talking about the movie the whole time. Uh, it's very much who's in and who wants to talk about what that day.
0: Right. Yeah. Sometimes it could almost be like a tertiary background type deal.
1: Yeah. And a lot of um, people tell me they uh, listen to it at night because it's uh, it helps them calm down at night just cause it's a very like chill kind of show. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy it very much and we'll do a whole mix of things. We've done, you know, crazy horror movies we've done. We just did Dr. Mordred, the full moon, uh, Dr. Strange ripoff. <laughs> I'll do weird kids movies, uh, for, I like to prank my audience. So for Halloween this year, I put up a poll and said, Hey, which is your favorite movie in the Halloween franchise? And we'll do it on the show when I get your votes. And then that week at midnight, I had everybody vote. And we did uh, The Dog Who Saved Halloween, starring oh. Dean Kane.
0: <laughs> oh. Sounds like a Hallmark movie or
1: something. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. And how Dean disappointed Cain, was everybody? Oh, extra- I, it, a bunch of people were in on it and got it. A bunch of people were mad. And a bunch of people were just confused. Like, how did this win the poll? <laughs> like, not realizing, no, I'm lying. <laughs> did you get a surprising
0: amount of votes for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch?
1: Yes, a lot of one of that, and a lot wanted <laughs> four. I did four the week after, just because I didn't want to completely... I consider that, like, uh, I think one of the funniest things ever is after when South Park got really big, they did the uh, Who is Cartman's Dad season finale cliffhanger. And when they came back, instead of answering that, they did an entire Terrence and Philip episode called "Not Without My Anus," <laughs> and so many people called Comedy Central that they had to bump up the South Park episode to that Friday because people were like freaking out.
0: Yeah, they that were they so up in arms. all
1: summer and didn't get the answer to the question, "Who's Cartman's father?"
0: Oh, I love that it's a, it's a great subversion. Like who shot Jr. and then you come back and you just do something completely off the wall and totally different.
1: Yeah, I loved it. And we've done a bunch of weird stuff that I've found over the years. Um, I can't recommend enough. Uh, have either of you guys heard of Meet the Hollow Heads?
0: No, I don't think I have.
1: Okay, it's on Prime. And it is a... I'm trying to figure out the best way to put it. It is a post-apocalyptic, gross-out parody of 1950s sitcom aesthetics... Starring Juliette Lewis as the daughter. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is in it. And uh, the mom from Throw Mama from the Train.
0: Oh, and nice. it's
1: essentially a, like, nuclear family. Dad is bringing the boss home from work episode type deal. But everything is wrong about this world they live in. So it's everything's underground. Every room is round completely round. So there's no corners and no walls. Everything is purposely colored. Like everything's like odd browns and, and, and off colors and everything is connected by series of umbilical cords. So like when the mom's in the kitchen, she'll take a tool out that's hung by an umbilical cord. So like the kid comes home with a black eye. So she puts a leech on it with an umbilical cord or, like, God. everything's kind of alive, like the Flintstones. How hope it's It's one of the weird... It was made by the guy who did the effects on Scrooged. Okay. And yep. uh, it's one of the weirdest things I've ever sat... Like, you watch it and you go, I don't know who this is for. Because it's not a children's movie. But it's also not a grown-up movie. And then um, <clears throat> random celebrities pop in and out. As well as, like, tonally, it'll just veer off for a gross-out gag. Like, there's a thing where they have this uh, animatronic dog that's all sick-looking and gross, and the son and his friend pick giant, like, baseball size ticks off of it and put them in a catapult and shoot them at the wall for an extended sequence.
0: Wow. Was this the late eighties, early nineties? When did this? Of course,
1: yes. Yeah, that that's, Mama, yeah.
0: you talk about Mama Fratelli. Who Anne was Ramsey, and Ramsey.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and the whole thing is really, I really, Everyone I've shown it to, it like stops them dead in their tracks. Well,
0: I'm gonna have to check that out. I also appreciated uh, Miko recently. You you posted that you you know you knew it might not be popular, but uh, going to bat for the Final Destination as the quintessential nineties no. horror movie.
1: Yeah, the 90s two thousand like my whatever our age bracket would be, and people of course are going to say Saw, um, but Saw really dipped off to me. It got convoluted and less interesting, while well, Final Destination got more interesting because I just I'm, I'm rewatching them all now. Personally, I'm going to do them on the show eventually, but they set up the rules to that franchise up top and stick with them. Hmm. And right. it only gets more like it's like the game Mouse Trap, where like a million little things cue the death, and right at number two, they already have you guessing how everyone's gonna die, and they fake you out the whole thing, and they just get more and more wild. And then the way that series wraps is so brilliant, and that they've it, it just it sticks the landing so good.
0: Yeah, where are they at now? Six of those or five? Yeah, six.
1: I believe six, five, Todd,
0: the final uh, destination was the last one, right?
1: Yeah. And then the fact that Tony Todd's involved in all of them in some capacity, uh, just gives it so much fun. Gravitas. And then, uh, when you talk to people our age, when you talk about final destination, almost everyone that watches a lot of movies. Oh yeah. I think of that every time I'm behind a truck with logs on it.
0: Mm hmm. Fine. Or a water slide, or a roller coaster, my or fine, man. I can't help it. Oh you know, yeah, right? not, that's the first one. Not, sorry, I'm going there, but if you're not thinking 9/11 or Final Destination, then you weren't born in 1986.
1: <laughs> uh, question for the Jackmans, uh, and this is another theory about on my show a lot. I think, and just I would love your opinion. I think the best example of post 9/11 cinema. Cloverfield. Wow, I like
0: Cloverfield. Yeah, that's that's a very uh that's an interesting take and it definitely
1: um, reminds you of everybody running around in dust. Everything yep. about it is how would people handle a terrorist attack in New York? And yeah, I remember getting out of that movie, I was looking up for days. Oh, yeah. For fucking Kaiju. I was looking for Kaiju. It was insane well
0: that that shot f- that they have at the end which is taped over the other footage of the thing just coming into the water was freaking terrifying too man if, if you yes. don't look at you'll you'll miss that. Uh, I think a lot of people probably missed that because yeah because how shocking the movie was and uh, for a, a so-called found footage or you know POV type film um, I thought it was very effective and definitely reminded me of 9 eleven for what, sure what year did that drop it wasn't that long after, right?
1: I was in college, so it had to be within 10 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I I remember being freaked out by Cloverfield and wondering exactly what it would be, but definitely got those vibes that this is you're in the middle of a city, in the middle of a catastrophic uh, terrorist attack, and how do you respond in real time? And watching it play out like that in real time is truly horrifying. And it definitely called back to 9-11 because when we were – I was a freshman in high school when 9-11 happened – and even watching the footage later on from what was recorded earlier in the day was just so – still to this day when I think about it, man, it just gives me chills, and it's totally horrifying. And it's still hard to believe that that actually happened.
1: Yeah, and I just feel Cloverfield feel really, really captured how – because I, I grew up uh, right across the Hudson River yeah. uh, from the city. I grew up in and so I watched, I watched the attack out my window of my uh, freshman year classroom. And they really nailed it. The panic, the rumors, the uh people not knowing where the safe place to go was. Uh, You know, the subways where everything goes down, you don't know where to go. It's just, yeah. it's such a perfect, and I don't think it gets credit for being like the quintessential post nine eleven horror movie.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I really feel the horror genre, and I think it's starting to get more respect in that aspect, in that realm, that... that it captures generation, uh, whatever generations going on. The trauma, like for example, I always point people um, to Jacob's Ladder for Vietnam, and um, it's yes, it's a horror film, but it's also I really also feel like it's a it's a war film um, in the same vein that like Full Metal Jacket might be because it's like it's cerebral and psychological and and uh, yeah, it's scary, but ultimately it's just a very sad movie that really deals with I think PTSD and and, and grief and um, you know what a lot of war veterans go through. So I think the horror genre really captures a lot of that stuff. And it's usually I mean, like, ahead of its time.
1: A great example of that uh, is uh, how zombies work throughout generations. said, yeah. that's nuclear fear. That's radiation, us rotting mm-hmm. away, shit like that. The 80s come, how do you become a zombie? Blood and saliva. Gee, what were we afraid of?
0: Hmm. What could that be from?
1: And then, yeah. you know, you go further in the 2000s, and zombie is more like a chemical attack or, um, you know, something that we're infecting ourselves with, kind of like, um, you know, the gas on the Japanese subways and ship. Right. And I yeah. feel like the way zombies are portrayed, and now we're going to see, and it's starting already, zombies are a pandemic. Yeah, sadness which just came out treats zombies like a pandemic and that it it's a germ uh i think zombies have always kind of reflected whatever the cultural boogeyman is of a society then that reflects how they become zombies how they act and how we respond in the films
0: and how fast they are too because uh I remember when George Romero came to my college, he he made it a point to be like, no, zombies they're, they're not the zombies aren't supposed to run. They're, they're, their flesh is rotting, their muscles have been rotting away and, and they can't run. So even from and I think you know, nobody did it better than Romero in terms of social commentary, especially with Dawn of the Dead and I think the underrated Day of the Dead, which might be my favorite out of the original, the original three. Um I do
1: in every interview for every zombie movie, George Romero went, oh, you know, it's very indicative of our cultural time. It's like, all right, we get it, George. We've <laughs> you've been doing this act for how long? I'm sorry, that- you didn't copyright of the Living Dead, so you got to keep oh. trotting this shit out.
0: Oh God, we yeah, get that- it. Dennis that-
1: Hopper's supposed to be fucking Bush, George Bush <laughs> zombies, man, freak me out. <laughs> I, I, there's
0: a, there's a great behind the scenes from it's like a Universal Studios approved when he was making. Uh, Land, I think it was Land of the Dead in two thousand five. Martel actually pointed this out to me. There's um, this, is, this is a shot of George Romero, just like with his head in his hands, just going like this, and so you can just see the frustration that he's dealing with a big studio and not being able to to uh, do what he really wanted to do. And then, of course, he did uh, Diary and Survival, which were not as good, but you know, still had some moments. Yeah, I don't know, but but I want to see the sadness. That's that's on my list. I've heard that's really good and really gory.
1: Really good. There's one or two parts that are a little low-budget, cheesy-looking. Other than that, it looks excellent. And then it's a little heavy-handed with the COVID imagery. And the COVID. Oh, yeah. Like, they really – And I think it also might be a translation thing uh, where just when you read it, it comes off a little more ham-fisted. But overall it's excellent. I real that trained the Busan. I was I think, just about are both to say phenomenal.
0: Yeah, because I watched the sequel too, which was good, but I, I it didn't pack the same punch as the original. But I was invested, man, in the first one. I was like really sad. That movie made me that was a zombie movie that like yeah, <laughs> made me exactly. emotional. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah was, I mean, it, you're gonna love the sadness. It's not as emotional as that, but it is a mind, it is a mind fuck. It really it takes some big shots.
0: Yeah, yeah, that looks really good. I mean, you know, the horror genre and then, of course, the subgenre of zombie films always are are willing to uh, be cutting edge, you know, and, and, and say something before a lot of other films do. So I'm glad to see that it is getting more recognition and, and getting the, the do it deserves. But um, I still think there's a lot, you know, there's probably a long way to go. But they usually do very well box office-wise. And um, even people who say they don't really typically like scary movies end up you know, finding one that's that, you know,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think Ari Ops is
1: doing a lot as far as, um, showing that horror movies can be like uh, art films too. I think him and, uh, Jordan Peele.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm very interested to see what's going on with Nope. I really feel like he's doing a bait and switch with the trailers he's releasing. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't don't know that it's going to necessarily be a straight up alien or UFO film. I think there's going to be something else going on. Um, after I saw Us, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, what did I just see? What was that all about? And um, I don't know. I just I felt like what he was really trying to say was we present two different versions of ourselves. And uh, who's to say which one is the real authentic one and the real good one? Because, yeah, you know, I thought that was a pretty good twist. You know, spoiler alert, yeah. what they what they do at the you know, when you find out what's really going on with us. But um,
1: I, I think yeah, you know, with, tra- what you said about the trailer, that's what Hereditary did perfect. Oh, oh God! And that, the f- trailer for Hereditary was a possessed kid movie.
0: Yeah, you thought it was going to be all about Charlie the whole two hours.
1: And uh, my co-host on Realized Podcast, I was telling him, "You got to see Hereditary. It's fucking terrifying. This trick is so good in it, dude." And he watched the first twenty-five minutes and turned it off. <sighs> and he goes, "It's all. It's, I mean, it's just the whole trailer." I went, "What does that tell you?" And he goes, right. "What?" I went. I mean, that the rest of the movie is something else. And he goes, yeah. oh. And then he watched it. And yeah, it, it was, I mean, that that shock in Hereditary was so bad. And then uh, Tony Collette just threw. There's scenes in Hereditary where Tony Collette changes expression that looks CGI. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have w- just watched um, the Staircase on HBO. She played uh, uh, the 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 victim in it. That's on my list. She's excellent.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hereditary. I've watched it twice, man, and that's it. I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. I was so terrified after that movie, and, and just thinking about it, I get chills, man. And I was going into Midsummer with a lot more expectation. I enjoyed Midsummer, but I only watched it once, and. I'm not like clamoring to watch it again, you know.
1: I enjoyed *Midsummer*. I watched it with my wife and my buddy, who's a critic, uh, Simon Abrams. He writes for *Variety* and *The Slate*, and he um, is one of the reviewers for RogerEbert.com. And we used to live together. Real, real brilliant guy. He hosts a lot of screenings. He does DVD commentary on um, like some bigger, like Blu-ray releases of older stuff. And I was so glad that me and him had the exact same interpretation of the movie. It was about halfway through, I turned over to him. And I'm like, are you getting what I'm getting out of this? And he goes, what do you think? I went, this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre in Europe. And he goes, yeah, I'm sitting here. This is a Hooper movie. I was like, mm-hmm. And you, as you go through it, beat for beat. It's Texas Chainsaw, but for flower hippie Norwegians, right on mushrooms. I mean, to the kid in the mask, the sledgehammer, yeah. the um, uh, uh, preserving the corpses, the way the order they're taken out—it's Texas Chainsaw. Wow, that's
0: interesting. I didn't think of it that way. That's a good interpretation of it. Yeah, to me, it was just a uh, like a, a psychedelic uh, breakup film. You know, yeah. disguised as a horror film in a lot of ways, but yeah, I'm sure Ari Oster has uh, Toby Hooper influences. And have and, you uh, seen
1: uh, Ari Oster's short? He did finished in college. The something strange about the Johnsons.
0: Was that the no, one about I, head fucking? I've heard about it. Yeah, Eric did it. you did you watch that, Eric? Uh, you know, I I was gonna maybe look for it one day because I read about it, but then I was like, I might wait on this. Have you seen it, Zach?
1: Oh yeah, I've made so I um. My show, Spook Show, it uh, screens live for free, Midnight's on Gas Digital. So what I've started doing is a pre-stream at 1130. I got inspired uh, when I went to go to the Alamo Draft House. how they curate. It's not just trailers. They curate. So, like, if you go see a Stephen King movie at the draft House, there'll be Stephen King commercials from the 80s. There'll be clips from, you know, the Indian version of It. Um... <laughs> cool scary clown footage and they curate about a half an hour of clips before the movie. So now I do that every week and it's music videos, commercials, clips that kind of get people in the mood for the movie. And then I'll go in the chat with them. And every once in a while, if I'm feeling squirrely, I'll move it over to discord and I'll go, all right, he's got two more movies in them wow. and I'll do a live and I'll do live episodes for, and I don't record them. Uh, I just do. You got to be there if you want to see it. That's cool. One night, I did strange thing about the Johnsons, and uh, even my fans were a little ball. Like it's not graphic, but it 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 really gets you. It's he's uh, it's it's you're so not prepared for. However prepared you think you are for it, you're not
0: yeah and yeah. I still haven't I still haven't committed I haven't been able to do it I haven't watched a Serbian film I still to this day haven't watched it.
1: okay I will argue that a Serbian film content aside is a good movie yeah it works. it's very smart um it's kind of got some like memento type shit going on uh everybody in it's very good. It's not as bad as you're gonna think it is.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's
1: horrible. Things happen. Right. They don't happen on screen the way you okay. think they do. Okay, that is a movie that has done a great job of its legend uh, outweighs what's actually on the screen. Um, yeah, because that's like Texas, like Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw no one not, dies on screen.
0: There yeah,
1: no it's all.
0: Screen. So you don't you don't find out at the end of Serbian film that it was just a Clinton Foundation event.
1: <laughs> uh, it, yeah. It, it was, and it's a wild piece of cinema, uh, but it's and it's a bummer that it ends darker than anything else. Oh, god, you but, know, uh,
0: sometimes you need something like that. Other, other yeah. times, you want to watch Dean Kane on uh, Hallmark, you yeah. know, uh, rent. Uh, I'll tell you uh, what, you know, Dean
1: Kane loves him a fucking dog movie, he can't stop doing them.
0: Well, isn't He's Dean... In- He's a MAGA superstar too, isn't he? Oh, like the king, the king. I got Superman voting for me if you can believe it, Zach. We got Superman. We, do. we have All him right. endorsing from Krypton. Kryptonite.
1: <laughs> I got a Dean Cain movie for you guys. Another dog movie. Bailey's Billions. And it's about a golden retriever whose master dies and leaves him a billion dollars. Wow. Um, it is then kidnapped by an evil butler and maid who are starting a puppy mill and has to be saved by a group of kids and a veterinarian who can talk to animals. Now, I'm going to give Amazing. you this cast list. Veterinarian who can talk to animals, boom, Dean Cain, done. Loves him a dog movie, he's in. Evil butler and maid, Tim Curry, Jennifer Tilly. Dude, I like it. Are you kidding me? How have I never heard of this? Eaten up, scenery. I mean, chewing through the sets, overact. I mean, it's like they it's like they watched Clue, and went too subtle. Uh, Voice of the dog, John Lovitz. Oh, I mean, want to talk a tour de force.
0: We're gonna, we're gonna put that on the list. Like God, so many yeah. things on the list here. Let me write that down. Dean Cain, what's it called?
1: Bailey's Billions. What is this, like 2002 or something? Yeah. What was the one called Zach
0: with Mama Fratelli in it?
1: Oh, uh, Meet the Hollow Heads. Put
0: that on there too, Mike. And then put the Ari Oster dad fucker on there too. That you
1: know, I would put that, it I, I wouldn't do that and meet the hollow heads in the same night. You're not no, gonna be the
0: same. We'll, we'll space it out a little bit, but that's a Zach's, bag of mushrooms. Zach's <laughs> putting yeah. in my wings right now, like to be bold and brave with this stuff, you know. I know, I know, yeah. Cause we, you know, in our old age, we're start we don't watch as I, I, I certainly as a teenager and in my college years, I I loved the Saw series and I still have a big place in my heart for the Saw series. I was disappointed by Spiral, probably not as disappointed as Will Smith, but um <laughs> I yeah, I, I didn't I gave it a shot too, man. My friends who I grew up watching Saw with were like, Oh, it just looks bad. I'm like, still, man, you gotta see it, you know. We we, we but uh I've heard that they're gonna do maybe a jigsaw TV series and bring back Tobin Bell and they're talking about doing another Saw film. So um I think that, that property is still got fuel in the tank, you know. But
1: I mean if somehow Chucky just got good again, I think a- got
0: I wanted to bring that up. You mentioned Jennifer Tilly, dude. How freaking good was was that season? Like, it shouldn't have been that good. Like,
1: it was phenomenal. Even,
0: the last two films, uh, Curse and uh, Oh, I agree. I liked
1: them a lot. Yeah,
0: amazing. They're they're. It was just like what part six and seven or something or, or... uh, yeah. Blah, blah, Curse blah, blah,
1: blah. would have been
0: part five. No, Seed is five. Oh, Seed is five. Curse
1: uh, six.
0: Cult is six. seven. Cult is seven. And, and I love how Don being... Man's.
1: Yeah, I mean and, and the fact it, that the one with John Waters is the worst one is so telling.
0: Is that Bride of Chucky?
1: No, that's uh, or, Seed of Chucky. Seed?
0: Yeah, Seed is my least favorite. I have to be honest. Although I did like Glenn Glenda, and I, I think Glenn Glenda is going to make an appearance in, in the in the series. Um, I rewatched Seed recently, and it, it, it just
1: it, it's not that good. But then the, uh, uh, Curse and Cult are phenomenal, especially they really, they really, when you especially when they reveal where they are in the timeline.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's amazing and Fiona Dorof is is amazing.
1: She's Fiona Doroth as her own father incredible. Then Fiona Doroth as herself possessed by Charles Lee Ray is such a multi-tiered tier perfor- fucking phenomenal.
0: It it really is and then
1: and then their their the
0: dynamic between her and and Jennifer Tilly was really good, and really it was some of the most interesting material of the season I thought. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah, they greenlit the second season. I think they're filming it right now. And, uh, yeah, even the new characters are great, but I love how they bring in the original OG Andy and the older uh, foster sister. And, um, yeah, it's just so freaking zany. And and, uh, it's it's amazing that a series that's been around since, like, 1988 is still this good. (laughs) But, you know, if you have someone like Don Mancini who's at the helm the whole time, man, and really – Cares about the characters and, and how the story works out. Um, hopefully, other studios or other other entities that have all this money will fund projects like that that can still be, you know, brought back. And like, um, I don't know, are, are you a fan of the Scream series at all? Or which, which... I am.
1: I did not enjoy um, uh, the new one. It uh, it just didn't didn't tickle my pickle the way I thought it was gonna.
0: Yeah, it didn't work for you.
1: Yeah, I mean. I've found the Scream series to have diminishing returns. I feel like um, while it was to shock the audience, I think killing Randy in two basically killed the driving force even more than Sydney. Or I felt like yeah. he was almost, Sydney was our protagonist, but he was almost like a Gildencrans and Rosenstern type narrator. Mm-hmm. and that the series has never recovered from losing that character
0: yeah yeah i would i would agree with that and and uh every time that they can do one you there's know uh, well yeah. yeah there's always callbacks there's but then... that
1: needs to do his speech right or and, and, and like at a certain point how am i supposed to believe this group of another high school and they all talk like they're uh, film, st- like, uh, yeah. film school graduate, like having these superfluous conversations about art films. And they're, the new one, and I, I never am a person that complains about diversity in, in newer movies. I totally get it. I think representation truly matters. Uh, and, uh, and that's one of the more things I'm a screaming lib about. I, I really think it's important for people to see themselves represented on screen and in things they love. Absolutely. But when they cut to that table at Woodsboro and it looks like a fucking Burger King Kids Club version of the first movie. <laughs> it, it looks like a fucking Ankh community college where they're like, get one of everything. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, it was it was shoehorned, yeah. And then you gotta have your gay or your bisexual characters or Yeah, your, and it's uh,
1: insulting. Which, it's like they wouldn't hang out. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I felt like they were checking boxes with the new scream. Um you know, there were some great callbacks, of course. Uh, I like kind of with the opening how they they you know, rework the expectations of the opening kill. Uh, but now now Nev Campbell's not coming back for part six because they're not they don't want to pay her. So
1: And supposedly it's in New York.
0: Yeah, they're filming in Montreal and it takes place in New York. So I will of course go see it. But um Yeah, out
1: of curiosity you gotta but yeah, yeah no, that series hasn't really um, hasn't gotten me in a while. I think uh uh, I did, did not like most of it, but the ending shot of the new Texas Chainsaw was a piece of art.
0: You know, I, I watched that, and overall, I didn't think it was that great, but there was there were things about it that I thought were pretty great. And I, I agree about the ending of the new Texas great Chainsaw. Ending. I,
1: great, ending, reminds... great concept that the one had been through a school shooting, and that's why she was anti-gun. Very believable, very intelligent. Uh, what I thought it was missing, and this is where the Texas Chainsaw series takes a dive. So I personally am in love with Texas Chainsaw 2. I think it's one of the best movies ever. Absolutely. And it's because, and the same thing that one has, it's not the Leatherface show. It's everybody and he's the, you know, uh, the one you're scared of. This new one to not have any other family members is not a Texas Chainsaw movie. It's a Leatherface movie, and I yeah. don't really want to see that.
0: Yeah, they were more it focused the on the family dynamic. Yeah, I like the one they did a couple years ago where they had John Duggan come back as the uh, as Grandpa, and then they I think Bill Mosley showed up as a different Sawyer character. Um, yeah, I might well, be he confusing. Too-
1: no, you're exactly right. They moved everybody up a generation. Yeah, where Bill Mosley was. Uh, the the dad more or less and then the grandpa
0: yep. was the dad yeah yeah built fantastic and, and I, I had the good fortune tall. of meeting Gunnar hansen once and i was like dude you scared the shit out of me with, with as leather face and he's like that's that's the idea that's what we were going for and uh, i got him to sign a, a photo of him from the end there when he's doing the dance from the original and I, I i gotta dig that up i gotta hang that up but i have that in my archives and um yeah, so I mean that property, I think they're going to do another one with Netflix and then of course Hellraiser, which is one of my all-time favorite um, horror series has a TV show and a film coming out. So that'll yeah, be Yeah, uh, so
1: Hellraiser has made the made and very early in the series what I consider the jumping the shark of horror is take it to space
0: part 4. Yeah. And they
1: went to space pretty quick. Leprechaun went faster. I think Leprechaun went in three. At least
0: Jason waited till what part ten? Jason X, yeah.
1: Which is but, a good uh... movie. I stand by Jason X. Jason X has one of my favorite kills ever—the nitrogen death.
0: Dude, I'm with you. A
1: pretty fucking good. When they rebuild him as Super Shredder, Jason, <laughs> I legitimately think that is a good plot device.
0: Dude, and I always had a crush on that robot girl. Uh, yeah. get her name, I always thought she was so hot. I don't know. That's weird, but hey,
1: it's so, 2022. 20,
0: we're all in the metaverse. I know we're, we're coming down to like our last 10 minutes, but I, I did want to ask you, Zach, my earliest memories of you were probably from like 10 years ago at Nukemai, High, uh, you being involved with in that. But I'd like to know a, a little bit. I don't really know a lot about your background, how you got started in comedy performing. So what did what did that look like? And like, what was the timeline in your life? Like high school, college, like how did it all begin for you?
1: So I actually was a musician. Um, I played synthesizers in a goth band, uh, throughout college. And I was going to film school. Uh, the idea was always horror movies. I saw *The toxic Avenger on VHS when I was 13 and that's when it'll get, it hooks in you. And I watched, I rewound it and watched it again. And I walked into my parents' living room and I said, I want to make movies. So I go to film school while I'm in film school, I'm going out to golf nights. I start playing keyboards, for this weird, like industrial kind of noisy band. We kind of find this weird synth punk sound, and we're on tour on and off while I'm in college. We start to not get along anymore. Our singer starts dating our manager, financial issues, music's looking looking like it's not gonna work, or at least this iteration of it. And I'm in college, and my senior year, I take a class called New York comedy. Of, excuse me. The history of New York comedy, and I show up, and first day, the teacher says your final is either a paper, or five minutes of stand up, uh, in front of a real audience. And I go, I'm going to do stand up. And so over the course of the year, they brought in comedians to talk to us, and I meet Dante Nero. I meet um, a number of other comics, Uh, Ramsey Moore, who's no longer with us, all kind of come and talk to us. Then they bring us over to what used to be Eastville Comedy Club, and they have us practice five minutes each with real comics uh, watching us. And then the night of, they audition us, they put us in order, and then we all open for Big J Okerson.
0: Okay. Wow. His
1: manager was there, meets me, very nice. Stay in contact with him. They do another reunion show with people who took taking that class over two years, and they have us all go up at Caroline's. Okay. Again with Jay and Justin Silver and another a bunch of other comics. I wound up becoming friends with, and Jay's manager at the time said, "Hey, do you really want to give this a shot? Um, If you want to do stand up." I will, you know, I run a club, you can do check spots and little, you know, well, you know, I'll I'll just hang out and he gave me a doorman job and out of college, I just started working, um, I had about like a lost year where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do and then he gave me a doorman job and I started eating checks, uh, for people who don't know what that is, it's you go up while in between the last two people on a showcase show and you go up while the audience pays their bill and it's basically comedy boot camp everybody's doing math they're mad always because the bill was way more than they thought it was going to be you know they're looking at 13 dollar heinekens um and basically they they put me through comedy boot camp and i was selling tickets working the door doing sets every night and that kind of became comedy and through that i was working with the guys that i work with now which is jay lewis and dave from Legion of Skanks, they were on every show when that club opened, and yeah. I was the door kid, and they just kind of wow. kept me.
0: So that that's how you got into the full the Gas Digital crew.
1: Yeah, and then um, I was supposed to produce a podcast, and they realized I had no technical skills, <laughs> so they just gave me a microphone to comment, <clears throat> and I wound up just having a knack for sitting in the pocket yeah. and uh, what they would refer to as sniping. I just I'm you know the arty chair is what I would call it. Yeah. Uh, or the Jim Norton chair when uh, ONA was still around. And, um, yeah, it's just that's how I've been with those guys for 12 years now.
0: Wow. And um, when I saw you in person at the Troma premiere that we were at, you you know, mentioned Tim Dillon and, you know, my brother and I are just, he's to me, man, he's he's my favorite comedian right now. I, I just I, I I can't say enough about how brilliant Tim is. Um, what, what, uh, what was your first memory of Tim Dillon, like meeting him and seeing him? And, and when was that?
1: Tim's always been special. Uh, there's something so larger than life and, and and not condescending, but almost like Tim's Tim's been a star before he was a star. He had the air about him that he was always like, and he's in it to win it, man. He works hard. He hustles harder than anybody. And, and um, I remember him going from just a guy I hadn't heard of that I had met to, I was like, and everybody went, Tim's going to be big. Everyone went, Tim's going to fucking uh, get out. And then like, it just happened so quick. Uh, Tim went from, you know, being in New York. And then it was so fun. I, Tim was sleeping on our friend's couch in LA. And then Tim was famous like two months later. <laughs> It was insane. Wow. Like it, it was a trajectory that was so not unexpected because he's so talented, but so like, oh, how's Tim doing? You know, Tim's staying with our friend Michelle. And then how's Tim doing? Oh, Tim's fucking rich. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I watched uh Tim had Louis Gomez in his studio there. And Louie said that, you know, during Tim's gas digital days. Uh, he would ask Louie to front him like the $600 check per month for his early show there that he had going because he needed yeah. it to pay his bills. And Tim's like, I would then take it and go to the most expensive steakhouse and get a $70 Tomahawk and put it on the gram, you know? And, and it was, it was surreal to hear that. And, and, you know, I could tell, um, I don't know a lot about it, but it sounds like, you know, gas and Louie were very, very supportive of helping Tim in those early days.
1: Yeah. And then um it only helps us. Like we own the fact that we all have this association and that we're all friends, it can only be good. Like I think a mistake a lot of young comics make, and I made it in my few early years, is I would work with these people and felt like I, I was having good sex and stuff, and I would see them get T V and get all this shit and I had all this bitterness, like why not me? But the older I get, the more I realize, like, oh no, you're successful by association. Like I may not have gotten what some of my peers have gotten but the fact that i perform with them i do stuff with them i'm in the fucking game yeah they're doing i'll get you know and i've gotten my shots and i've gotten to do a little bit of tv stuff and now when people get shit you, you're so happy for them yeah. because everybody bumps up a notch you know if tim gets something that's somebody's gonna find us and, and the there's ways people do better The more our peers do better, the better it is for us. And so watch somebody like him find so much success is A, inspiring, B, well-deserved because he's fucking phenomenal. It
0: it is really inspiring. And and the first time I saw him was on Rogan, and he's clutching a book called Family of Secrets about the Bush family by an author named Russ Baker, who Mike and I had had on our podcast a few years ago. And I was like, Mike, holy shit, dude, there's this this brilliant fucking comedian on Rogan right now, and he brought a copy of Bush Family of Secrets to give to Joe Rogan. And I'm like, I need to look more into this guy. So I gave him a follow on Instagram, and then that, that was it, man. It's it's Tim. It's been Tim Dillon for me, man. And and I live for that show every Sunday when it comes on with uh, him and with Ben's laughter and whoever, whatever guest he might and have. And more it.
1: importantly, he's just a good guy. Like he, he takes care of his friends, just like what I said about Tommy. Takes care of his friends, and uh, you know, just uh, always complimentary, always trying to help people out with stuff, and right. um, fucking love him, man
0: yeah yeah no we're we're so lucky to have someone like him and uh i know the first time we saw him mike and i were front row at uh the com what was it like the comedy connection in providence in providence yeah and you know it's a pretty small room and then you know mike and i are big boys right front row and we're just laughing our ass off and tim's like and uh you know we got these guys right here these are my two personal trainers you can see that's going well <laughs> and, uh we went up to him afterwards and, and he's like hey thanks for being a good sport guys and we took a picture with him and uh, I think the first thing I, I just said to him, just because I was so psyched to meet him, I just said, "I like guns, and I put them in my pussy." And he, like, he had to think for a second. He was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." <laughs> Meghan McCain. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. No, it's funny. It's full of heart, and it's full of uh, a lot of the same shit that Eric and I have been looking into the last twenty years. So that's, I think, another reason why we uh, yeah, well, he catch those vibrations, man, and just put it out in a way that's that's so so brilliant and, and funny. And uh, that New York Post piece about him buying the place in the Hamptons is everything. <laughs> so what do you got coming up, uh, Zach? Uh, you got some, it sounds like you're working on your hour and... and uh, yeah, working on my hour.
1: Uh, when will this come out?
0: Uh, that?
1: This oh, we're live right now, right? This is live oh, yeah. this
0: is going to be on uh, immediately. Mike will put Great it on movie. all our
1: um, um, I mean, just check out the podcast, Zach Miko's Midnight Spook Show, Real Ass Podcast and Bye Guys. Please check out Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, which is now screening we're currently uh, have screenings going on in Boston and Los Angeles, and then um, if you're listening live and happen to be around, I will be at the uh, at Soul Joel's in uh, Pennsylvania this weekend on Friday, and next weekend I will be at the E Mouse Theater in Pennsylvania and co-host City Music Hall in upstate New York. That's Excellent. awesome. And you know, we will have
0: to have you on again and we'll talk more about wrestling because I want to get into the wrestler and, and you're a little bit yeah, more of your wrestling I career next time. Yeah, yeah. we'll probably keep in touch about when you're going to do that hour because if that's something that, you know, I could come and see or we could come if it's in New York or wherever you end up doing it uh that would be amazing to be part yeah, of yeah i like that very much thank for you guys that. it would be it'd be so cool well zach thanks for joining us man it was awesome to talk to you and uh just keep doing what you do your stuff is is fucking hilarious we didn't even talk about the roast where, where you uh <laughs> really like you're the first big roasting i think it got like over a million views really quickly and you roasted that girl six million
1: wow so we can we can Just save
0: sense. that for, for the next uh, the next interview. But uh, thanks good. for your.
1: You guys are the best, by the way. Thank you sincerely.
0: Oh, thank you, thanks, Zach. Man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always been, been a pleasure everything. working with you. We get uh, we get the studio space up here in New Hampshire. We'll definitely would you know if you ever get up this way, we'd love to have you come in studio once that becomes a reality.
1: Absolutely, sure. you got it.
0: Well, cool. Well, folks, check out Zach Amico. He's a funny guy. He's talented. He does a lot of different things. And, um, we appreciate you watching and all the information is down below where to follow him, subscribe to his channel, follow him on all social media. If you like what we do, consider becoming a monthly patron, patreon.com slash Jackman radio, five bucks, 10 months, 10 bucks a month, whatever you can do, it all helps. So everybody be good and we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.
1: Troma. <laughs>